This message comes from NPR sponsor Xfinity. Some things are slow, like snail races. Other things are fast, like Xfinity XFi. Get fast speeds, even when everyone is online. Working to make Wi-Fi simple, easy, awesome. More at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. You know, depending on when you're listening to this, our uh, How to Do Everything get-together is either tomorrow or today, or already happened and you missed it. Or Merry Christmas. If you happen to be listening to this before April 8th, 2015, at 6 p.m., and you live in Chicago, you should come uh, join us, have a drink, and some cake at the hideout. That's Wednesday, April 8th. I feel like we should say Jillian is going to be there. I feel like that people will come. Jillian, our producer, Jillian Donovan, she talks like this. Jillian, can you put your mic up? Hello, I talk like this. There she is. Jillian will be there. That's Wednesday, April 8th at the hideout. Hey, John, what can we help you with? Well, um, my question is, how many gold medals would my guide dog win if I entered him in every running race, every foot race in the Olympics? Oh. So you'd assume that he would be, in a world where that dog is eligible to compete against uh, Usain Bolt and all the other runners, how many would he win? Right, right. And I also, I guess I would assume that he would understand the rules, too. Yeah, he would stay in his lane. Yeah. What's your dog's name? McGee. D- does McGee have the heart of a champion? Uh, no, he does not. We should get to the bottom of this. Uh, Mike Davis is online with us now. He's a professor of physiology at Oklahoma State, and uh, among the things he studies is how dogs run. So, Mike, how many events could a dog win at the Olympics? Well, um, I guess uh, the first uh, qualifier is that it would depend on the dog. Well, I have in front of me here some of the human world records. And let's just Mm -hmm. assume that the nation of dogs is putting forth their best athlete. The 100-meter dash, let's start there. The world record is 9.58 seconds. And when Usain Bolt ran that, his top speed was 28 miles an hour. The Mm -hmm. average speed is uh, about 23.5 miles an hour. Tell me what that race would look like if a dog was in it trying to win it. Um, well, it's for a 100-meter dash, let's put a greyhound in it. Okay. Um, greyhound is going to uh, complete that in probably a little bit more than half the time that Usain Bolt required. Wow. Really? Yeah. I mean, they, they are much faster accelerating and a much higher top-end speed. You know, let's uh, let's try and get a kind of audio sense for what this would be like. Uh, we're going to play right now. This is uh, just the recording of Usain Bolt setting the world record uh, in 2009. The Bolt is loaded. The world 100-meter final. Set. They get away first time. Tyson Gay right alongside Usain Bolt, but here he goes. Streaking away already. It's Bolt all the way. He's looking round at Gay. Watch the clock. It's gold for Bolt. And again, he's done it again. A new world record for Usain Bolt. Okay, now listen again, and this time we'll put McGee in the race. The Bolt is loaded. The world 100-meter final. And, of course, who can forget McGee? McGee, of course, for those of you who don't know, is John's dog. He's a Labrador. 
They get away first time. Tyson Gay right alongside Usain Bolt, but here he goes. There you have it, folks. He's done it again. McGee. That was a honestly disappointingly short race. Very fast, uh, but you know who feels most disappointed? Former world record holder Usain Bolt. He's, he never had a chance. He's actually still running. Stunning. All right, well, let's try a little longer distance. Let's talk about the 1,500 meters. So 1,500 meters, I think uh, we probably switch over to, uh, say, a pointer-type uh, type dog. So the, the, re the world record here is 3 minutes, 26 seconds. Yeah, and, and I mean, we can, we can come up with lots and lots of dogs that have been demonstrated to sustain better than 20 miles an hour for much, much further. Looking at times... And uh, let's see, a 27 mile, 27 and a half mile run was uh, one with a time of 93 minutes. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, that is on day three. So on day <laughs> one and day two, they ran um, 20.8 miles and 19.8 miles, respectively. Mike, so, do, you think, do you think it's worth exploring dogs in rhythmic gymnastics? This would be with the ball and with the, the, the ribbon and stuff? I'm sure we could teach the dogs to do it. Um, I, I think that uh, um, getting the dogs to understand what the, uh, the purpose is is going to be a little, bit, um, a little bit tough because, you know, quite frankly, it's kind of hard to get a lot of people to understand what the point is of rhythm, rhythmic gymnastics. Let me ask you one more thing. We've we've been talking about kind of the ideal dog for each of these disciplines. Uh, John John's dog McGee is a lab, uh, mm -hmm. a, a very fit lab. He runs a lot. Uh, is mm -hmm. in good shape. Do you think that this lab would at least win all of these events? Probably so. The biggest handicap that dogs have that the humans don't is if we turn around and and hold these events in you know hundred degree weather. And that's where the dogs start, will start to falter a little bit because they can't get rid of their metabolic heat nearly as effectively as we can. Uh, depending on how hot it is, it may not take very long for a dog to overheat, and at, you know, at which point then the dog has no choice but to slow down, and then we may be able to catch up with them. So given that we have all these dogs winning medals, uh, I don't know much about dogs, but can a dog put it, put its hand on its heart so that when it's on the metal podium and its anthem is playing, it can show the proper respect? Yeah, probably not. But if you, at the same time, if you, you know, hang around a lot of uh, sort of professional athlete dogs, the dogs definitely have uh, the ability to recognize that they've accomplished something. When they get across the line first, um, you know, there is oftentimes a look about them where they they have that sort of kind of serene confidence that you know what I'm I succeeded. So the other side of that, then I guess if a dog doesn't have its best day and it it loses the race, can you see that on a dog's face? Oh yeah. What what does that look like? Mostly, well, I mean, it can it can look a, a lot of different things. Most of the time, they just want to be left alone. You know, oh, they're, wow. they're, you know, it's like I'm not interested in being petted. I'm not interested in you telling me what a good dog I am. I didn't, you know, this wasn't a good run. I, I didn't accomplish what 
I knew I was supposed to accomplish and, you know, just leave me alone, <laughs> you know. And they get over it. I mean, they, you know, like like most dogs, uh, they go curl up, they take a nap, and and they live in the moment. So, you know, six hours later when they wake up from their nap, they're all happy. All right. Well, Mike, thanks so much for talking to us about this. All right. Y'all have a good day. You know, the, talking about dogs running, this reminds me of a story we did on this show uh, a couple years ago. And when we first ran this, we heard from a lot of you who told us you actually turned, you, you just stopped your podcast, stopped listening because you couldn't stand it. But trust us, if you, if you stick with it, if you listen through the whole thing, it does get, it does get better. It does, this isn't a sad story. Yeah, you, you should know. We, we would never uh, intentionally hurt you. This is the story of uh, Iditarod racer Scott Jansen, who was running his sled dogs in the 2012 Iditarod. Uh, we got a hold of him at a checkpoint. He was 200 miles from the finish of the race. Um, so here's that tape. I was coming down. It's called the Dalzell Gorge. When you come across rainy paths, and uh, after I went over across the pass, it was snowing really, really hard, and um, it was it was well, it was beautiful. I mean, it was beautiful as far as a snowstorm goes. And yeah. the dogs will do what we call dipping. And by that, the dogs will dip into the snow to get, you know, a little hydration as they're cruising. And one of my dogs, Marshall, he um, he was dipping into the snow in the sides. And all I can think of is that Marshall dipped into the snow going down one of those trenches. And he must have packed his snout with snow when he did that. And, uh, and his mouth, much like when people are in an avalanche, you know. Yeah. And, um, and so we came out of this trench, and all of a sudden, Marshall fell over. And the dogs will do that every once in a while. You know, a dog will stumble and they'll fall and they'll jump right back up, you know? Yeah. But Marshall, he fell and he hit, boom. And I grabbed my snow hook, which we used to stop our sleds. And I was able to snag a little piece of bush and stop the sled immediately. And I got up to Marshall within minutes. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, conceivably it was probably two or three minutes by the time I was able to stop and, and get up to him. And, uh, oh. and I... Uh, <clears throat> and I, uh, and I, I lifted him up by his harness, and, and he fell again. And uh, and uh, and then I knew, and you know, and I looked at his eyes, and his eyes weren't rolled back. I didn't see the whites of his eyes, his pupils. He was dead. And uh, I'm an undertaker. I know death. And uh, <clears throat> so I started, you know, I screamed out his name. And. Uh, it's hard to talk about, but yeah. I screamed out his name, and, and uh, I started instantly. I put his I, his tongue back into his mouth so I could close his mouth all the way, and I put my mouth over his nose, and I pulled back in to try to get anything out of his nose out, and uh, <clears throat> and I was able to pull a lot out, and uh, and I spit that out, and I started breathing into his nose, and at the same time, giving him chest compressions. And uh, and I did that for five or ten minutes. I don't know. It seemed like an hour. And uh, and I I just I remember so vividly my tears dripping down on his snout as I just looked up at the sky and I said, "Please God, please let him come back." And then I looked at Marshall. I breathed in his nose again. I'm like, "Dude, please come back. Please come back." And I did one more chest compression, one more breath into his nose. And he coughed back out, I mean, right right into my mouth. And 
you know, it might sound disgusting for people, but it was the most joyous sensation ever. Yeah. And he started breathing, and uh, he didn't. And then his eyes slowly came back, and and he's looking at me, and but he couldn't lift his head off the snow. And I laid there in the snow next to him, and and I rubbed him, and I petted him, and I told him I loved him, and and uh, I told him to hang on, dude. I'll get you to the doctors. Yeah. And I laid there for about forty minutes, and and. Uh, <clears throat> Finally, all of a sudden, he lifted up his head. He looks at me like, hey, Dad, what are we doing here? Um, <laughs> so while, while you're doing this with Marshall, the other dogs are, are how are they yeah, behaving? They're all, standing, they're all standing in line, and every one of them are looking back at me, and they're all whining, and, and they don't do that much. These dogs will howl, they'll sing at the moon and everything else, and, and, uh, and they're all whimpering up front, and they knew, they knew. That something was wrong with him, and so I got Marshall in the sled bag, and I said, "Hey guys, we got to get Marshall to the doctor. We got to rock." And we took off down that mountain, and we're going. And as I came into Roan, I was yelling for the vets, and they came running out right away. And I told them, "You got to get Marshall in right away. He's, I think he's dying." And I told them what had happened, and they started working on him, but I couldn't go in with them because I had, you know, 15 other dogs that I needed to take care of. And yeah. In the meantime, I snacked all the dogs, and while the food was soaking in the hot water, I went in to check on Marshall. And and I'll tell you, I'm I'm not a tall man. I'm only five foot five, and but I was about four feet tall when I walked in there. I was yeah. I was having a hard time even standing up straight. I was probably at one of the lowest points of my life. And and I walked into the checkpoint, and Marshall's laying on the floor, and they had an IV into his arm. And I walked into the checkpoint, and Marshall looked at me, and jumped up on his feet. And started wagging his tail like, hey, Dad, when are we going? <laughs> and that's when the vet said, you know, he's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. And so Marshall's okay now. He's he's back in Anchorage and living like a king right now. Yeah, yeah. I wish we could send dog biscuits or something for, for Marshall, but if you could scratch him behind the ears for us, you know. Oh, I'll do, I'll do that for sure. I'll, I'll give him some love when I get home. if you've made it this far, you have a high tolerance for podcasts. So why not take advantage of that and listen to another show, NPR's Ask Me Another. This one might actually be good. It's full of puzzles, trivia, uh, Jonathan Colton plays music and sings funny songs. It's like Trivia Night, except uh, without the people at Trivia Night. Yeah, it's, an, it's the only NPR show that I know that is set in a bar, that takes place in a bar where people are drinking. Isn't that right? Or I guess Bar Talk. And Morning Edition. You can try it now at npr.org slash podcasts. There's this thing that is happening now. Maybe you've heard of it. Where uh, a couple that is pregnant, rather than find out just straight from the doctor, whether it's a boy or a girl, they have a kind of more creative way of doing it. A lot of people call these gender reveal parties. It's like a baby shower where the couple and all the guests learn the gender of the baby. So, like, they'll have someone learn from the doctor what it is. They'll put a certain color of balloons in a box. And then at the party, 
they'll open the box and out come pink balloons and everyone learns together that it's a girl or a boy who likes pink. Heather and her husband wanted to do something like this, but they decided to do something a little different. You know, we heard of like the cupcake thing where you cut into a cake or a cupcake and inside there's either pink or blue frosting. Yeah. Um, that just seems gruesome that you're cutting <laughs> in with a knife into this thing to find out what's going on with your baby. <laughs> yeah, it, it can be. I've, I've seen the like really graphic ones where it's like the baby's butt is on the top of the cake. Oh. So I don't know. That was not for us. Uh, we decided not to do the whole, um, I guess, traditional route. My husband and I are not very traditional, and so we were we were kind of laughing about, oh, man, what's the craziest way that we could come up with telling our friends this? And my husband jokingly was like, we should have a fight to the death. Really, it should be between a man and a woman fighting to the death for the gender of our baby. And um, I laughed at it, but I said, you know, that's actually not that bad of an idea. And um, we knew a really great stunt woman who was a friend of ours, and he was like, my husband was like, you know, it would be great if we could ask her to coordinate a fight. Okay, here is the stunt woman who played the female. Uh, this is Katie Eichen. My friend Kyle and I got together. I asked him if he wanted to do it, and then it was actually Kyle's idea at the end because we did it. We, we, we got together for one day. We choreographed, kind of put stuff together, and then we both were kind of like, man, it needs something awesome at the end where it's just like we like a wow factor. So then he was the one that was like, why don't we have you win or it seems like you win? And then we'll like, you know, so we just kind of brainstormed back and forth. And he was the one that came up with, you know, right when we we're about to announce the sex of the baby, baby, then he cracks my neck. So <laughs> it was, yeah, I was like, yes, that's awesome. When they were fighting, they actually did this fake out where it seems like, the girl had won the fight, and then at the very end, the boy comes in and breaks her neck, and he's the winner. <laughs> um, and so everyone who was watching the fight, whenever Katie, the girl, won, everyone turned to me to look at my face. And I just had this moment of going, oh, my goodness, this this is it. This is the gender of, of our daughter. I, I can't believe this. Are they done fighting? Oh, am I responding okay? Oh, I haven't even thought about responding. This isn't right. This doesn't feel right. And my face just said shock, and I don't know if it was fear or what, but everyone told me afterwards, they were like, oh, Heather must not have wanted a, a girl because <laughs> she seemed terrified whenever the girl won the fight. Wow. Um, that was the <laughs> most fun part by far because you can hear Heather in the background like, oh, my gosh, it's a girl. And then I'm like, we're so pleased to now. And then he snaps my neck. So oh. we were, yeah, it was so much fun. I mean, it's it's a strange dynamic, right? Because here's a man beating a woman to death. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, yep. and and that's and that's the preferred outcome. Yep. You know, I I know it's totally absurd. It's a boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Heather, have you have you watched an action movie since your son was born? Uh, yeah. What does a a fight scene affect you differently? Um, no, I don't. I don't think. Um, I don't think I've ever actually related it to a real fight. Um, I think there was just so much anticipation when I was watching the fight that was coordinated for us. Obviously, it was more than just watching, you know, like an action scene in the movie. It was so personal. It was very, very tense. I don't think I've ever felt so tense watching an action scene as I did watching that unfold. If you want to see the fight. 
that revealed the gender of Heather's baby, you can check it out on our website, howtodoeverything.org. It's, it's really violent and just really sweet. There are swords. Now is the part of our show where we'd like to tell you about our sponsor. These are people who've paid to be mentioned on our show. Or corporations, which are also people. And this week, our sponsor is the over 71,000 CFP professionals who want you to know how to find a financial planner. Just about anyone can call themselves a financial planner without any sort of training, education, or background in financial planning. That's why our CFP professionals want to make sure you're working with a certified financial planner professional. CFP pros are thoroughly vetted to uphold the highest standard in education and experience and are required to put your interests above their own. To find your own CFP pro, simply visit letsmakeaplan.org. You know, going to the post office takes a valuable time and makes you stand in long lines. And leasing a postage meter is too expensive. With Stamps.com, you can buy and print official U.S. postage for all your letters and packages using just your computer and printer. For a no-risk trial and bonus offer for How to Do Everything listeners, go to Stamps.com today. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in everything. That's Stamps.com. Enter everything. We got an email from Sven. Sven says he listens to How to Do Everything while at a sewing machine sewing sales. Sven, these next 15 seconds are for you. Sven, either you're at a sewing machine sewing sales or you're, you are a tongue twister. Uh, we could barely read that. I, but if you are honest, if you are truly standing at a sewing machine sewing seven sails for the seven seas, super. Set an open course for the virgin sea. Cause I've got to be well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? Well, I learned that dogs, uh, they are going to win. They are going to get the gold medal in the Olympics. You wonder, they get their national anthem played for yeah. the dog nation, which they represent. I wonder, wonder what that would be. Well, I think there's so many. There's actually a lot of good dog songs. Who let the dogs out? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think that would be the song that a dog nation would have because it ultimately represents dog oppression that, that they've been kept in and that it was a mistake to let them out. I don't think that that's what dogs would choose to represent them. I think you're right, because it's also, there aren't many national anthems that are questions. Because there is no answer in Who Let the Dogs Out. Yeah. It all is is who, who, who. No one, they don't think they ever answer Who Let the Dogs Out. Yeah. Hey, whose banner is this? It's all star-spangled. Who, who, who. How to Do Everything is produced by Jillian Donovan with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Olympic dog champion McGee. Congratulations, McGee. Send us your questions at howto at npr.org. Our website is howtodoeverything.org. Our get-together is uh, Wednesday, April 8th at the Hideout in Chicago, 6 o'clock. You should come. 6 to 9, Jillian will be there. Jillian, remember she talks like this. Hello. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks.